We have been in the middle of a sermon series for four weeks. We're wrapping that up uh, and traveling along with Jesus on the road to Jerusalem from the Gospel of Luke. We are learning what it is to live as disciples. Let's see if we can kind of remember. We remember that uh, Jesus spent time along the way to stop and talk to a lawyer who was interested in things eternal. And out of that came a wonderful story about caring for injured travelers. And in that, we learned the example of being a good neighbor, because disciples are good neighbors. And then we spent an afternoon with Mary and Martha, and we learned that Jesus wants us to slow down a little bit, take some time to listen not only to, our, uh, to Jesus, but also to our neighbors, and spend some time Uh, listening and loving, because disciples love by listening. And then we listen in on an intimate conversation that Jesus has with his disciples along that very road in which he describes to them the importance of prayer. The depth of our spiritual life is dependent and central in a life of prayer, and we learn that disciples pray. Today we are in the 12th chapter of Luke, and what the evangelist makes clear to us is that God's love that we experience is uh, in being a good neighbor and listening and loving and praying never was intended to stop with us, is intended to flow through us out into the greater world. Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we enter into your presence with great expectations. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Kelly and I did a Dave Ramsey course a few years ago, and uh, many of you might have done that as well. One of the things that Dave Ramsey uh, talks about is that some of us humans are born with an extra gland. He calls that the security gland. He says his wife's security gland went off in full force when they, in their 20s, built their first fortune and then lost it all. And she was left with this gland, a security gland, in high anxiety. In Kelly and I's relationship, I'm the one with the security gland. I'm the one that gets a little bit nervous and anxious when things change when the situation of a job changes or a child's need changes, it is my security gland that goes off in full force. It is sometimes activated when someone loses a job or we see cutbacks in large companies and we wonder if we will be the one that receives one of those magic uh, um, uh, programs or, or packages because they're right-sizing. We also get a little anxious sometimes when the economy in the local area impacts our church budget. We begin to wonder what we might lose. What is it that we might have to give up? What favorite program that we love so much might have to be cut? How will we adjust? And this is not a new problem. It is not a modern problem. All we have to do is pick up the Bible and read as far back as it goes, and we know that this thing with money has always been a source of anxiety. Jesus is very familiar with this anxiety around money. Perhaps he saw it as a child 
when his parents were anxious over the monthly budget, but he is especially intentional when it comes to preaching about it. He teaches and preaches on money more than he does on heaven and hell combined. Eleven out of the 29 parables that he uh, shares are about money. And in the uh, Gospel of Luke, one in seven verses is concerned with money. The only thing that Jesus teaches more about than money is the kingdom of God. So it should not be surprising to you, and it's not surprising to me, when someone in the growing crowds that are gathering around Jesus asks him about money. We find that story in Luke's gospel in the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 13. Listen now to God's holy word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who sent me to be a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, Why should I do? What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. So this is not a parable about investing. It's not a parable about saving up for a rainy day, and it's not even a parable about retirement. This is a parable about the problem of greed, that insatiable uh, desire and hunger for more and more and more. It is not new to any of us. We've all fallen victim of it. Throughout all of human history, and especially woven through God's story of salvation history, greed is dangerous. The prophets warn against it. The uh, apostles warn against it. Jesus warns against it. Greed is so dangerous because it so embeds itself inside our cultural expectations that often we are not even aware that it has got a handle on us. I remember a few years ago there was a uh, funny commercial on TV from Lending Tree. You might remember this man named Stanley Johnson seems to have everything. He has the big house, he has a country club membership, he has the big swimming pool with the outside uh, kitchen attached to it and a brand new car. And when somebody asks him, how do you do it, he smiles kind of contritely and he says, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. (laughs) 
I can barely pay the finance charges. Help me, somebody. This is what catches us off guard. We spend so much time getting ready for our life and that pretty soon the expectations of all these outside influences are pushing themselves on us and we find ourselves exactly where Stanley Johnson finds himself. This rich farmer, this rich farmer is not going into it expecting to be greedful. He has a terrific crop. He needs some place to put these crops. He says to himself, I will build bigger barns. I will build a better granary. And then I'll put everything away and I'll sit back and I'll relax because I won't have to worry. I can retire. Sounds good to me. Kelly and I have been working on that for uh, many years now, 40 years, looking forward to some sort of retirement someday. We hope to have enough that will last throughout our retirement. We hope to have enough so that we can go and do some of those things that we could not do while we worked. So what's wrong with that? Jesus says everything. In fact, God in the story calls the farmer a fool, and that's where it hurts, because I see myself in that farmer. But if I look a little bit closer, if I use a discerning eye, I can see what God is really talking about, and it has nothing to do with estate planning. Because actually, God says to the man, and the things that you prepared, whose will they be? So evidently, he's not even done any estate planning. The point that Jesus is making is that life is centered, cannot be centered on more, that attraction to more. It cannot be something that we gather and that we hold close, that we become self-centered and self-sufficient. We were born into a community, not to be an island. This desire to acquire more actually pushes life away from us, and ultimately, we die a death. But Jesus gives hope. Jesus says, true life comes in richness, but a richness towards God. And when Jesus lays this statement out in that uh, 13th verse or 21st verse, he says it with an active verb, not one that is about being an attribute. This riches is not an attribute of our soul. It is an action of our soul. It is something that has to go out from us. This parable compels you and me to ask those tough questions. Am I gathering things in for myself? Am I gathering and protecting them? Am I becoming so much a consumer of them that I am losing myself in them? Or are we using those things that we gather in those things that we acquire to share God's generosity with everybody else. Are we demonstrating how God's economy is upside down and different than our human economy? What seems to be logical in this world, in this society, is measured differently in God's 
society. In our economy, we are often measured by the size of our wallet, maybe our uh, bank balance or the size of our house or the number of automobiles that we drive, maybe even the kind of watch we wear on our wrist. These are things that are called storehouses. They only have a certain life expectancy. God's economy is different. A few years ago, I participated in what was called a poverty um, simulation. I went down to Waco with a bunch of other seminary students, and we experienced what it was like to be homeless for 36 hours. It was January. It was cold outside, and the first night on the streets was a little bit bitter because it was raining. Four of us women found an old shipping container made out of metal, and it had a hinged door on it. It wasn't very tall, and so we couldn't sleep long ways in there, but we could sleep sitting up. It was a long night. It was a cold night. It rained. It was musty. It was stinky. It was icky inside that box. And somewhere in the midst of that, as we talked about what we had been learning all week, what it was like to be middle class in contrast to what it was like to be living in abject poverty, one of us in the quiet and darkness of the night simply whispers, I'm so glad to be middle class. You see, God's economy is measured not by the abundance of our possessions, but rather by what we do for others. The good news in this passage for me is that Jesus has no interest in being our arbitrators and helping us divide our inheritance on this earth, because you see, Jesus is our inheritance. Our loving God, who has so gifted us through the life of Jesus Christ, wants us to share that with others. This love should never stop with us. We should simply be the channels through which it touches the whole world. B. Salazar was a woman of meager means, a disabled mother of five. She lived in low-income housing in Carrollton, Texas. Shortly after she became disabled, she um, became depressed. She was living on pretty small an income in this little apartment and she found herself sitting lots of times in the middle of the day and crying. One day she gathered up the trash and she went out to the dumpster to put it in the trash and when she got there she heard something in the dumpster. She looked in there and there was a five-year-old boy barefoot and he was in there about to take a bite of molded bread. She stopped him and invited her into her home, and she gave him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He didn't say much other than to tell her that he was hungry. And then when he left, he returned about 30 minutes later with five of his friends, and she made five more peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that day. She invited him back the next day, and the next day he came with not five but maybe ten of his friends, and so it went day after day. Kids from this housing Uh, apartment complex began to show up at her doorstep. Her daughter was worried. She said, Mom, you you have so little, you cannot possibly continue to give at this rate. And she said, Oh, mija, mija, only until school, only until school. But when school started up, the children still came after, chill, after school. They came to her apartment. They were hoping for another peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And what began was she helped them with their homework. 
She encouraged them. She loved on them. And pretty soon, it wasn't long until kids were coming from the other apartment complex down the street, and her apartment was literally jammed with kids after school. Once again, her daughter says, Mom, you could get in trouble. You are not licensed. This is run like an after-school program. You don't even have a high school education. She said, Oh, mija, just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. You see, in this giving of peanut butter sandwiches and sharing after-school studies, B had found a sense of purpose. And pretty soon... This program did begin to draw attention. First of the local police, then the local churches, and then the local schools. Each one of them not coming to shut her down, but rather coming with gifts of food and hands to help. That was in 1990. Today, the local churches in the area, school and police, continue to help this organization which has become Bees Kids and serves over 200 children across the Carrollton area and another 200 children in apartment complexes in Farmers Branch. Many of these kids would have never made it through high school. And now not only have many of them made it through high school, some have even gone on to college and have families of their own and have returned to be assistants and helper hands and mentors to the next generation of Bees Kids. One young man came back recently from Wisconsin. He had been in B's program, and he came back to tell the kids to stick with it. Anything can happen. You can do anything you want, because he had just graduated from medical school. She shared her bread one loaf at a time on a limited income, and what she received was the richness of God's economy one that is not measured in possessions of this economy. Friends, the love that we have been given through the blessings of our lives, whether they are in the way of possessions and money, or whether they are as simple as a single loaf of bread, these blessings are meant to be shared. This love that God gives us is meant to go beyond us, and it never stops with us. Jesus presents us this rich understanding of what it is like to store up treasures in heaven. And then Jesus makes it clear that this is not only possible for Jesus' disciples, it is something we should strive after. We can be freed from the power to attain and desire more and more in our life until the life is nearly sucked out of us. Instead, we are given the opportunity to be channels of God's blessing and love. So this week, I invite you to go out and make your witness bold. Bold enough so that those around you can see the love that has been shed on you. And so that they know that this love never stops with you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.